Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all today? Wherever you are on this planet, I hope there's a little bit of peace, a little bit of laughter, and a little bit of serenity. No matter what is happening in the world, the crazy world that we're living in at the moment, I think and believe truly that the serenity and the peace that we are all searching for is something truly that we can find within ourselves. And the unhappiness and the sorrow that we can sometimes feel, and also the loneliness, is actually never satisfied through the external, the things that we can see with our eyes of the world. It's always what we can see and feel with the eyes of the heart. And what's more amazing, I think, is that when we can connect to people that we have never seen in our life, but we communicate either by phone or by the internet, and we have this connection automatically. So that, I think, shows us, you know, in a great way that our connection to each other goes far beyond the physical. It is something really of the soul that attracts us to somebody else. So with that in mind, I have to say to you that I am absolutely delighted to welcome my guest today, who is the lovely Jeremy Gladstone. Now, Jer, as he likes to be known, is a musician and the owner of Sleeping Bag Studios in Ottawa, in Canada. So that's right on the other side of the world, you know, from the United Kingdom here. So that's always exciting for me when I speak to people so far away, and yet in another sort of breath, they are so close. This is, I think, the beauty of this world. Now, as well as being a music journalist, a podcaster, a blogger, He also produces videos and writes bios and press releases. He ventured into music journalism in his early 20s, taking pictures, doing album reviews and conducting interviews in the mainstream with countless bands and artists as they began their careers. And names such as Tegan and Sarah, Our Lady Peace, Chevelle, Finger Eleven, and many more. That was all in the beginning, long before the journey with Sleeping Bag Studios. Now, after spending 
too much time, as he says, in the so-called real world, Jair quit the corporate life officially in 2012 to put his natural talents to better use. With an unmatched ear for music and insightful ways of understanding it, I have to say he's absolutely fabulous. More of that later, but he is a wonderful, wonderful writer. I, I cannot express that. He chose to go back into journalism, but this time for the independents that are out there. Jair now spends every waking moment on behalf of advocating for the incredible music made by musicians worldwide through Sleeping Bag Studios, which he is obviously the owner of. He posts album reviews, podcasts, interviews, and an internet show for SBS, which has allowed him to really, in fact, live out his dreams by being an honest voice and support for the independent music scene. And he tells me he's just getting started. Today, he shares his wonderful story. Welcome, dear Jeff. Mimi, what a fantastically gorgeous intro. I've told you before in the past that I could listen to you read the phone book, and, and that was just, that was gorgeous. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. Oh, you know what? I am so honored for you to be here, really. Thank you, Jeff, for joining me tonight. I don't even know, what's the time there? We've had this whole time thing, haven't we? What is oh, the yeah. time there? In I know, I've been trying to sort that out. It's only 3 p.m. here. I'm wide awake for you. <laughs> Well, I'm wide awake and it's evening time here, but I sort of prepared myself for you. There we go. <laughs> oh, how are you? How is, we were talking about the weather. I have to ask you about the weather. The British are obsessed and I, I am actually also. How is the weather where you are? We're actually doing okay right now. It's just like we're about maybe a week away from the last of our snow. It's gone now. And it's like people are, are starting to come out into the street again and walk their dogs. It's sunny. It's cool. It's, uh, we've got about another week here before it's going to be absolutely way too hot to go outside again. Really? Is, is it that sort of drastic, the change? It really is. Yeah, it really is. You know, I don't know. If people uh, that are out here on the East will tell you the truth like I will because I came from the West side of Canada, but that's the reality. Yeah, there's no fall. There's no spring. You get about two weeks of both and you're right on to the, uh, the extremes of the weather again, either cold or, or really hot. So in about two weeks time, what's the temperature going to be? Um, oh, um, I mean, I would assume it's going to be at least around like 24s, probably pretty steady. So, I mean, it'll be still, I mean, we consider that fairly cool over here. It's when it gets uh, way up high that, you know, into the 30s and it starts staying there for regular weeks at a time. That's when it gets real tough. And how do you cope? Air conditioning. <laughs> Air oh, conditioning. Okay, okay. I'm a curmudgeon okay. and I live inside. So, you know, it's it's an actual shock for my system every time I go out and take my dog Opie for a walk uh, because I have no idea what the weather's really like outside. I keep it nice and climate controlled in here. <laughs> That's like, you know, um, you know, that feeling when you're on a plane and you know you've arrived on holiday because you the plane doors open and the heat hits you. Oh, yeah. It's that Absolutely. sort of moment. 
Mm. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. That's the front door. <laughs> front door is that plane door. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have a very interesting tale to tell. I'm sure the listeners are going to find it very intriguing. Now, I have to say, I have to say to the listeners that I've, I've said it a little bit in the intro, but Jer has an amazing way with words. He is absolutely fantastic. Not only that, it's the fact that he is able to see that and feel that what people are trying to say and not trying to say. So I think it's a hidden sort of superpower I think you've got there, Jer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but how did it all, let's go back to the beginning. Okay. How did it all begin? Well, the very start um, probably just comes from from an interest in music extremely early on um, and, and a connection to it that has always come through my family. Um, my dad was, uh, I would say, a struggling musician as I grew up. So, um, you know, when I when I got my first uh, drum kit, I had gone into um, uh, it's a store called Long and McQuaid. It's just a professional music equipment store that you, that's where you buy your stuff. So, you know, I, I was probably about 14 at the time, maybe 15. And I went in there and I had, I had asked, uh, you know, whatever I could get to, you know, for the money that I had kind of thing. And they showed me what, what was possible. And, in the process there, we kind of had our own little banter and eventually it got around to the question of, you know, like, what is, what does your dad do? What does he play? Hmm. And, you know, I answered, he plays keyboards, <clears throat> excuse me. And he plays keyboards for, um, it's a club called South, South city in, in Burnaby in, uh, British Columbia. And it's no longer there. Um, but if you've ever seen that scene in a movie where, um, like in a saloon where all of a sudden everybody puts down their drink at the same time and, and stops and turns their head and, and, you know, just puts their attention on you all of a sudden. Mm. That's what that moment was like. And I couldn't figure out why. And they, they all started to laugh. They were like, South City, you mean the world's longest house gig? And what they meant by that mm. was that that was where a lot of really, really good musicians seem to kind of go and almost um, miss their own opportunity because they were spending so much time playing in, you know, what might seem like it was a meaning, meaningless kind of job for some people. Um, but my dad never took it that way. You know, he put everything he had into every night that he went out there on stage I was lucky enough to see a bunch of rehearsals when I was a kid, um, you know, before the bars were open kind of thing. I was way too young to still go in there, but um, that kind of always, you know, it kind of also led to me having this kind of childlike perception of, of uh, bars and clubs. I still feel like a kid when I'm walking in there because I used to go into those places with the lights off and see how it really worked. Mm. Um, but, you know, it was interesting to kind of, to to just see this perspective that people had on on what that particular gig was like for him this this 
struggling musician that's just to make ends meet. And, you know, their notion that maybe he was missing his entire opportunity. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that when he finally left that place, he ended up finally getting those calls to, to bigger and better things, which is what he does now currently. So really he kind of sparked my entire interest in music and, and kind of where I, I focused my attention early on, whether it was playing piano early or, you know, learning drums or guitar, I tried to learn every instrument that I could. And, um, I listened to way more music than I actually ever played. And is that something, Jer, that would you say was, you know, as people say, it's in my blood that I was going to do that in my life? Is that something that I do propelled feel, you in your yeah, life? Yeah, like I, I, I get where you're coming from. I do feel that to some degree for sure. Like it's almost like there was never anything that almost appealed to me as much as music seems to. And that's kind of the way it's always been. So, you know, if that was uh, from a seed planted early on, or if that was just because I never explored other options, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's just always remained the number one constant throughout my entire life. Now, you are the owner of a successful studio, Sleeping Bag Studios. How did you, you know, from a young age to where you are now, how was that journey for you? It was a long one, uh, that I can tell you for sure, but definitely, uh, you know, a journey that I love talking about. And, you know, it's the entire distance from point A to point B almost doesn't make any sense when I look at it now. Mm. You know, when I first got my opportunity in journalism, it was from a completely random connection uh, in the internet. It's actually a UK-based art. Um, and his name is Aphex Twin. And he uh, isn't a person that I connected to, but he is a person whose music I discovered just randomly at a, at a bar. Um, there was, you know, we were just wandering the streets of Seattle of all places. And there were these sample CDs that had been left behind by somebody. And it only had five songs from this guy. And I put them on and I can't even explain it. Mimi, it was like stepping into a, a completely different world. I had no idea even existed. Like there was, beautiful classical piano pieces that were just slow, melodic, just absolutely amazing. And they're still amazing to me now. And there were also these scattered electro songs that were so unlike anything I had ever experienced. And, uh, you know, I basically, I drove home with that on from Seattle back to just outside of Vancouver. And, uh, all I could think about was I have to figure out how I can get involved with this. I don't know what this is, but I have to find out what I have to find out more about this Aphex twin guy. Mm. So I did, I got home and I logged on and I checked out, this is while I was going to school for web design, which I don't even know anything about anymore, but 
while I was supposed to be web designing, I was busy there, um, you know, looking up to see if I could find any Aphex Twin interviews out there. And I did. <laughs> and I, and when I, what I found blew my mind even more. You want to talk about decent decent with words check this guy out and and wa- read an interview one day he answers questions with all consonants and numbers it, like none of it made sense you know and it, he was what's deliberately kind of what's that what's his name jay his name is Aphex twin his, his actual name is richard d james but his artist name has always been Aphex twin and so i found this interview on a site called kludge magazine Mm-hmm. And it was as simple as that, really. I, I reached out to the editor right away because what I noticed was he was one of the few at the time that seemed to have an interview with this guy. He's done more since then, but at the time it was actually pretty rare to find somebody that had got to talk to him. And even though half of the answers didn't make a lick of sense, um, it was still somebody that had gotten through to somebody that I thought was doing something completely groundbreaking that I'd never heard before. And, uh, so I simply, I pretty much begged this, uh, extremely nice man named Arturo Perez, who I'll forever be thankful for, for meeting. He gave me my first shot in what I consider to be music journalism. It's not recognized by any kind of official credentials or anything like that, but, uh, you know, that's where it all started for me really was getting to that point and getting that opportunity. And, what was it about this particular artist that, in a way, I suppose, stirred you? I didn't understand how somebody could have such a polar extreme between what they would want to do. I think when we tend to listen to an artist or band that we like, we listen to them because they offer a specific vibe or a specific sound that we really identify with or connect to. And Aphex Twin was almost like a challenge to that. It was like, I'm going to try and do so many things, some of them that you're not even going to like. And he's even been quoted as saying directly, like, you know, if you like my entire catalog, you're crazy. Uh, you know, and I think to, to be that daring with your art uh, was absolutely fascinating to me. And do you think, I mean, he sounds a bit unusual, to say the least. He's nuts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah there's I mean, no question about it. There's, there, there are legends with him apparently like filling in shows at the last minute with nothing more than a blender of a, and a spoon and, and somehow entertaining an audience for like an hour. I don't understand it myself. I wasn't there for it, but I've heard oh. these tales. They're amazing. <laughs> so do you think? you know, in life, that they say that we are drawn to people that are, in a way, have an aspect of ourselves. Yeah, I do uh, agree with that for sure. You know, I think that, um, you know, what I instantly identified with in that music was how widespread it was. And what appealed to me was how that kind of opened the door for me to accept all kinds of different music. I think, you know, a lot of my youth, I was spent kind of, um, you know, I'm sure like most kids do, I, I had a certain style of music that I liked. And even though that kind of progressed throughout the years, 
it was still always listening to one kind of particular style of music at the time for a certain time period. And what, what Aphex really kind of did for me, even though he would be considered to be just one style of music as an electro artist, um, he still with his, you know, you don't find too many that just use a, a single piano for an electro song or he'll use frequencies for others that, that aren't even technically music, I guess. You know, I kind of described what he does as listening to a broken answering machine. And that that was what I, you know, when people ask me, what do you listen to? I said, I listen to Aphex Twin. What does it sound like? It sounds like a broken answering machine. Why would you want to listen to that? And it's impossible to explain to somebody that, you know, just because there's an experience that might make you uncomfortable, um, or be different doesn't mean that you there's not value in it. You know what I mean? There's always something to kind of be learned and something to be explored. And, and I think music teaches you so much in that respect. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, most of the time, I suppose the most uncomfortable scenarios in our life um, and moments with people have been probably the greatest teachers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, if you want the, the exact history and what kind of makes what I do today even weirder. Um, mm. When I was in, <laughs> you want weird? I'll give you weird, Mimi. Check yeah, this out. Just go for it. <laughs> when I was in high school, um, I think it was in grade nine. That was when I had just finished a summer of creative writing. And I walked into what was called humanities at the time. I don't know if they had that over in the UK, but that was a combination of English and social studies. Uh and I walked into that class on the first day and my teacher looked at me and he kind of looked at the rest of the class and he picked out what he figured were I guess four troublemakers or four people that were going to need some help so without even having said a word to him without having had a single class he instantly punted me into what was basically a remedial uh, writing class so I just spent my summer feeling great about myself feeling like I totally achieved something and learned how to be a creative writer of some kind. And then when I got to school that year, I was immediately assessed to be, you know, should be sitting at the back of the class. And uh, I got put into this special group of like four people. And the only thing that we did day after day, when we went to this class week after week was we did compare and contrast. So it was just kind of, you know, is a different. What does that mean? What What's that about? Compared? Well, it's like it, it's basically just comparing two different things to to each other and understanding what it is that there are similar. You know, what similarities exist and what differences exist, and kind of examining the relationship between those things, which ends up kind of really being the basis for a lot of what I do now. So, in terms of you know being put on some kind of path that you don't even always know that you're going to be on. Mm. That to me at the time absolutely seemed like punishment. I didn't even understand why I was in that class. In terms of writing, I was out writing those other three people that I got selected with to the nth degree. And, you know, that was just the reality of how it went. I didn't feel like I belonged there. So if anything, I pushed myself harder to kind of show them that, you, you know, you've, you've given me the wrong assessment here. You've given me a first glance and judgment, but this is what I can do. And, uh, you know, aside from that, eventually I would also get to about grade 11 later on. Uh, and that, that version of me started 
actually replacing his books in his locker with a sleeping bag. So believe it or not, <laughs> I used oh. to I used to pull out my sleeping bag in the middle of whenever I had a break or you know if I didn't have a class scheduled for that block, I would pull out a pillow and a sleeping bag and I'd be sleeping right there in the hall. Nobody else was doing that. And that was definitely frowned upon. But at the same time, kind of weird that I ended up in, uh, you know, the head of a place called Sleeping Bag Studios, too, yes. right? <laughs> and they allowed you to do that. Well, they, uh, you know, they would definitely not uh, go out of their way to disturb me too much, basically. If they happened, if I was laying in their way or too far out into the hallway, they'd tell me to rein it in. But other than that, they pretty much just, it was me. I don't know how to explain it. I kind of had, uh, I guess, a bit of a weird grace with with teachers. It was one of those things they'd kind of just look at look at me and go, "Okay, that's just Gladstone doing what he what he does again." And we'll just let him do it. It was never harmful to anybody, right? I was just sleeping. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> that's very interesting, you know, um, because I had a teacher, and I think the teachers in our life, you know, can really shape our destinies and our futures in a way because mm. I had a teacher and I was um, always writing stories and this particular teacher which was in lower school so that's sort of between the ages of I think it's nine and twelve and she okay. was a bully and whatever I wrote it was never good enough right and but I was determined because I always wanted to write and I always you know like wrote but it was never good enough so it was shocking like it was for you in that how is it that people don't understand what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to write luckily I left that school and I moved on to an upper school and I met another teacher and she was the English literature teacher and she said to me you know you're just going to scrape by with your exams with your writing and I thought I can't believe this you know, this Correct. is just nonsense, you know. How, yeah. and I was like yourself, you know, it's shocking at that age. I was about 13. Um, it was devastating. And everything that I gave in, you know, for her to mark was wrong. It was never right. It was never good enough. Right. And one day I had a showdown with her and I said, listen, I was only 13. And I said, I am trying my best. And she said, yes, I don't think you are. Wow. Yeah. So I said, um, what do you mean? And she said, you're not trying your best because I know that you can do better. Right. And we had this standoff, you know, like two cats can have it, you know, where they're, who's going to be the stronger one? And I said, but I'm trying to be a writer. And she said, right. I'm going to help you, but you're going to have to do what I'm telling you. So I was determined, you know, like you, I was determined, determined, and I started to really go within myself and really search what I really wanted to say and have the courage, because that's one of the things, isn't it, Jeff? We don't have the courage to say the things that we want to say. Oh, yes. You know, and it's, I want so much to say, but there's no one to say it to. And there's millions of people, but someone that would actually understand. And then one day she came and she was giving everybody the papers back. And then she was smiling and in front of the whole class. And she said, I had a little conversation. And I said, right, 
I thought she's going to say she's going to embarrass me. You know, at 13, you're, you're easily embarrassed. And um, so I spoke yeah. to another friend of mine. I said, right. And do you know what he said to me? And I said, no. And she said, he said to me, this girl is going to be an author one day. Mark my words. Wow. And at that moment, Jen, I knew I had crossed this line within myself that gave me this unshakable courage. And I wanted to ask you, is that similar to what you went through with this class and look where you are now to where you Mm -hmm. were then? I mean, how would one know that the experience of that teacher would actually be of benefit to you? Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm continually blown away by just how much I remember what that class was like and how similar it can be to, to the way that I listen to music now and I'm able to draw comparisons to different places out, or different, uh, you know, comparisons that, that make sense. You know, like oh, I'm just nice. kind of dialed in to do my work that and that's probably through the conditioning of that. And I think, you know, if anything, the entire experience of being put in that position is really what taught me more than anything else, right? It taught me to want to be yeah. hungry what I do. And, and it taught me to kind of, you know, if this is the perception that I'm somehow lacking in this particular skill, um, and this happens to be the one and only skill that I feel like I, I have some ground and, and some passion for, well, you better believe I'm going to do my best to work myself out of that, right? And I thought maybe that was the idea. I thought maybe the harder I worked, the more I would maybe get put back into the the regular class or or whatever as it was. But that was never really part of it. It was an experimental program that they were running from uh, the University of British Columbia, where they had student teachers that were running. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. They were supposed to be checking in on us years down the road, but that never happened. So that was kind of weird. But similar to you, I think the experience that I had that was closest to that was actually um, probably in grade, I think, 12 at this point. And so now the guy that was once in remedial, whatever it was that they wanted to call that class I was in, I'm now in advanced uh, placement English in grade 12. I have no problem excelling. That's the one and only class I'm interested in. Um, my teachers are regarding me as the accidental genius because they could tell me that it's, you know, make sure you stick around after class because we've got a meeting and I'd be the first guy with my books and up and ready to go. Not because I was trying to get out of it, but because I'd probably forgot in that short amount of time. Um, so, you know, I didn't really still give it my full focus like I perhaps should have, but it still came naturally enough for me to get by in a very convincing way. And where I ran into a real head with it was when we started writing speeches. And I had written a speech that was um, regarding my my brother, who is um, mentally handicapped, and he has been his entire life. Um, and he eventually developed epilepsy, and he's had a wealth of problems that, you know, are just well beyond his control kind of thing. Oh. And I wrote this really... I I don't, you know, it feels um, too grand to say it was a powerful speech, but I wrote what I thought I could put into it. You know, I I gave it the passion and heart that I felt like I could could bring to it and, you know, what was really important to me. 
And at the end of it, I either brought tears to the entire crowd or I got a standing ovation from, from the class. It was a good mix of both. And it was an incredible reception and response. And I was absolutely elated that not only did I get to make that much of an impression, but that the material itself meant something to me. It was really close to the heart. And my teacher called me into his office at the end of that day. And I didn't really know why. And what followed was what I thought at the time to be one of the most discouraging moments I think I've ever experienced. When I closed that door, he, he looked furious. And he looked at me and he said, did you write that speech for yourself or did you write that for somebody else? And I, I don't, I still don't really know what the answer to that is. Uh, if I'm being entirely honest, I mean, I, I only wrote it because it was a school assignment. If, if you want the fundamentals, but the reality is I wrote it because it was important to me. And I think what his lesson there was, even though it was well received by the people that were listening, it was still a consider your audience kind of message. And I think that that always really stuck with me. Um, you know, right or wrong. I don't know if he was right or wrong. I think it almost kind of taught me the opposite in a way. I felt like the more personal you can make something, the more it means something to everyone. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you there. And how did you find the courage to write the way that you do and be so expressive in what you're saying because I am totally convinced that you have this sixth sense you know I know that everybody has it's just some people are more attuned to it but you do have this sixth sense of feeling the other person well, and how you. you write is extraordinary thank you um, endless thanks for saying something like that and is it a superpower? I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think, think that <laughs> I think it comes from listening. And I think that that is what I recognize the most. I recognize that a deficiency out there in terms of how people were communicating with musicians specifically. Um, there are so many people out there that, and you can probably think of some yourself where maybe a friend has shown you a song or something and they are craving that feedback so badly. And the main people that they know that they can get that from are friends and family. And unfortunately, friends and family, for the most part, will tell you the great things unless you've got that really one honest brother or sister chances are most people are going to play at middle of the road and they're just going to say, Hey, it was, it was good. You know, Hey, thanks for sharing. And that's not the feedback that that kind of effort in, in art or music deserves. In my opinion, it deserves so much more examination. You don't have to be overly critical or mean to be honest, you know? And I think that's the mistake that a lot of people in my particular field tend to, to make is that they assume that any kind of, being critical is going to somehow damage the relationship between them and what they consider to be their client. I, you know, I don't really think of things on that level. It doesn't really 
you know, I hope people stick with me and I hope they are quote unquote clients for years, if that's the, what we want to call them. But really why I hope they stick with me is because, you know, they get some, some genuine insight and, and feedback that they're not going to find in any other kind of run in the mill place. Most of my peers write a paragraph for me. I write about two pages minimum on almost everything I do. Um, and it's shocking to me that that's okay with them. That's what bugs me. It's not so much, um, you know, I know that again, the struggling artists out there or bands, they, they don't almost know any otherwise. That's, that's what they assume they're going to get is a tiny little blurb that basically says the same thing that the friends and family are going to tell them, Hey, good for you. Pat on the back. And I think the effort absolutely deserves so much more than that. I guess, again, maybe it's just having grown up in a musical household and understanding how much time goes into the actual creation of a song from start to finish that, you know, you get this appreciation for just how much uh, is involved in everything that they do and being able to listen and actually try and understand what it was that, that made that song come to life to begin with. It's extraordinary. You have the option and the ability to write about anything. You know that as an author. As a songwriter, it's the same. You know, they have that ability and, and to almost hear and see what, again, what are the similarities? What are the differences? What do we all write about? What don't we write about? You know, there's lots of different kind of uh, elements that tie the entire scene together. Now, I agree with you absolutely um, with regards to that, Chair. And I want to ask you with regards to when music is it's something that has been part of my life I think since I was born and pre that um there is a certain magic to it there is something that's totally unexplainable I don't think you can ever put it into words you know you can be in one mood and you can put the music on and then you're suddenly in a completely different mood and Mm -hmm. um it affects us you know in in many ways vibrationally energetically in in so many ways and it's such an important part of our lives i believe but tell me what do you in your experience and expertise and your feeling what do you think it is that in humans it actually what is it that stirs people with regards to music? That might be the best question I think I've ever been asked, Mimi. Um, <laughs> I, you know, that is such an insightful question to have asked. And I, I wish there was any kind of one answer to it. I think it almost breaks my heart that there's not, you know, like in a way, yeah. there are so many things about music that connect to me so strongly that I absolutely look at people like they're crazy when they don't feel the same thing that I feel, you know, it's almost, it's almost foreign to me. It's just absolutely beyond comprehension. You know, I look at that as, as it should almost be universal. And I think to, you know, in contrast to a large degree, it is to the people that are passionate about music, you know, the, the things that connect are, sincerity melody passion um 
to me, there's absolutely always a difference between hearing somebody that's really good at making music and somebody that's really interested in making music. And there's a, a complete difference between those two. Yeah, very true, very true. And what do you think it is that, I suppose, stirs people to the point of tears and emotion in music? I think when it comes to that, I think it's definitely based a lot on personal interpretation and and how that particular song or artist, uh, you know, pushes a button with something that we've personally experienced, personal identification with what you're listening to. uh, It accounts for so much. Um, And I think that, you know, that's kind of, kind of the ground floor. That's how we should all be listening to music really when it comes right down to it. That's what you want to find. You want to find that connection, that thing that pulls you in. Mm. Um, and, And I think, to me, the more exciting part, again, was the challenge of, okay, well, can I take that principle of, you know, liking that one thing and, and can I find something to like in everything almost? You know, it's not that I'm necessarily going to go out and listen to these records that I listen to on a daily basis for the rest of my life, but can I understand from the artist's point of view what it was that they were trying to say? Can I understand what it is that, that drove them to want to create and put something into the universe that's always going to be there. You know, and I think that that's such an important question to ask. And it's surprising almost how split it is out there when it comes to kind of getting to that. Some people do consider that. Some just don't. Mm -hmm. Because every person, for me, when I, I don't know about you, Chair, but every person that I look at, is a music, it's a symphony. And in a way, I look at people as pieces of music. That's a beautiful assessment. So you mean like each kind of part of your personality is like, you know, the oboe, the trumpet, the saxophone kind yes. of thing. You all, oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful perspective. I love that. I love that. Yeah, and, I, know, I, that's what I, I, I look at it. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's like, Every single one of us is a symphony of sort. That's very true. Like on the inside of us, there's so many different things that account for, you know, our emotions or how we're going to deal with something or the drama or the tension or the intensity. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. All of these things. And you can almost see it in your mind. Like, I'm going to do that now. Now I'm going to be like, okay, that's my emotional cortex or whatever, firing up the tuba to get the drama going in my day or something like that. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. And when I meet people, um, whether it be, you know, physically or um, through the phone or whatever, and I think all of us do this to a point, is that we feel them first. You know, I always believe, you know, people think that we, I wrote about this, but, you know, you think you meet somebody with your eyes, but in fact, you meet them with your soul. Right. And I think it's whether the music in them is sort of resonating with the music within you, whether together 
you can play a symphony. Absolutely. You're right on to something here, Mimi. I think you've got your next book here because that's perfect. (laughs) Uh, It's very true. I mean, you know, for me, um, when I grew up and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm meeting friends and people for the first time, that's of course the first place that I would gravitate to. If I ever visited your house, the first thing I did was wander over to the CD rack or the record player or whatever it was you had and take a look and take stock of your collection. And right away it was, you know, I guess to me, it's always been such a guide in terms of values and, and um, perspective that, you know, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily consider some music harmful but i do consider some music to just be that you know it's it's a good time and it's not going to necessarily kind of help further the evolution of mankind or humanity or anything like that um you know so i there are certain artists however that do and i think when when i would look over a collection or something like that it was almost or have that conversation with somebody about music it was a a quick assessment of will I be able to have that symphony with you, you know, because if you've got those like interests guaranteed, you're going to have a whole lot more. Yes, that's exactly right. It's can we in a way play music together? Can we create something together? Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's really hard. Like it's one of the things I always talk to bands about is that, you know, it's a, it is a really hard thing to understand the possibility of having like a four or a five player group where everybody's needs of expression and creativity are actually met and satisfied within that band. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Cause like there's so many people that have so many wants and so many needs and a song is, you know, exponentially long or however long they want to make it. And everybody wants to put their input in there. And it's really important actually for a band to make sure that they're taking the care to make sure that that happens. Otherwise they are doomed to be one of those bands that split up. You know, you kind of have to have that understanding of how much people want to contribute to that art, to that, that entire legacy that you're creating in, in, in music or art or whatever it happens to be that you do. And uh, it's tough. I think it's really tough for them to all, meet that criteria where everybody feels like they've been fully represented and gets a, you know, their full say in what they're doing. Yeah. That, that's not an easy, easy thing because I, I know a few people that are in bands and a lot of them have split up um, purely because of this. But do you think that also in human relationships, this is something that interests me. It's also the same thing with regards to can any of us really express ourselves in a way that we feel that we're being heard? I think so. And, you know, I, to be bluntly honest, I think conversations like this are fully proof of that. Um, You know, I think there are certain people that you meet in life that you automatically know that you can talk to without a filter Mm -hmm. um, or without any kind of pretense or worrying about whatever it is that, you know, I don't know if they're going to run and tell the tabloids or TMZ. I have no idea, but you get the, the idea. I think there are just some people that we naturally gravitate to. And chances are not only is there a reason for that, but 
they're probably going to add significantly to your life with some sort of a piece of your puzzle that you might not have even known was missing. That's a very beautiful way to put it. And that's rare, though, isn't it? To find it? Absolutely. Mm. Um, Mm. You know, there's like, I can't even express the difference in talking to you, Mimi, as opposed to so many people that I've met for the first time and and you know it was kind of like the moment that you picked up the phone i feel like we just talked last week when in fact we never have you know what i mean so it's there's i think it's just um you know it's an inexplainable connection that some people have and and i think other people that have it are able to recognize it within the people that do and i think you know it still takes a, a certain amount of boldness for for somebody to to acknowledge that you know i think it's something that we still kind of or at least from my own perspective i know it's something um that it almost feels like it's um fictional you know until you kind of run into people that confirm that those connections are, are deeper than what maybe you thought yeah i agree i agree totally and Jay, do you think that at this time in the world, especially, that people are afraid to, in a way, show themselves for who they really are and to express that which really means something to them? Probably of two minds about that one. I think it's... Mm. You know, I think it's interesting. I think the perception is that with the, you know, advent of social media being as used as it is today. And I think, I think a lot of people think that what they see in in a bunch of all capital, capitalized letters is somebody out there telling it like it really is. Yeah. But a lot of that is no different and, and no more for show than, than somebody that would do that in real life, you know, just, um, it's it's a tough thing to to say that that the authenticity is always there but it it quite often can be um i'm sorry i've gotten sidetracked a little bit here no that's fine that's fine that's that's just wonderful i like that when people get sidetracked i always think well, where's this little road going to take us down now Right. Yeah. I'm, I've been on the other side of an interview enough to, to know that sometimes you better just yeah. cut it short and be like, okay, I've lost <laughs> You're my the way. Expert. And, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the expert. But I had a funny experience actually yesterday and people always, they never actually cease to amaze me. I have to say, not a lot shocks me, Jeb, but um, there are moments to it. And Yesterday, I had um, I had to have my car go to the garage, and the guy that usually deals with the car, um, he's just a particular type of person. He, he was he was okay, you know, um, mm. but he was sort of reserved and um, always the reserved type. But yesterday, he totally surprised me. Uh, he brought the car back, and I said, how are you, and how's life, and da-da-da-da, and as you do. And he was very friendly and very open and like a completely different person. And um, I said to him, 
how are you? And, you know, how's life? And how are things in life? And he said, yeah, they're good. I said, well, you seem a little bit different. You know, I, I, I can be blunt. You know, one has to be sometimes. And I said, but you seem a bit different. And he said, yes. He said, I had a wake-up call. And I said, well, of course, this is going to intrigue me. So I said, um, really? I said, well, what was the wake-up call? And he said, you know what, Mimi? I realized that life is literally a moment away from dying. And I suddenly thought to myself, through everything that's been going on, and they've had a lot of time off, obviously, and, you know, being locked down and everything, I suddenly realized, he said, that I have to live my life and I have to tell people what I really think. Mm -hmm. He said, and I am totally liberated with it. It makes a huge difference when you get to that point, for sure. Yeah, because it's too short to do otherwise. It really is. Do you know what, Jay? I always say to myself, I've had experience of this, sadly, in life, where you see someone for the last time, but you don't know it's the last time. Right. And it's happened enough in my life for me to whoever I meet, you know, always say what you want to say. Because you might not get another chance. It's very true. It's good advice. And some people say, well, that's sad. It is in a way, but in another way, it's actually quite liberating. It can be, yeah. You had a track on your last album that kind of referenced a little bit of that too and having the courage to to walk away if you need to, right? Mm. Some of those situations, some of the people you meet, they add and some people subtract and you need to, we all need to be able to identify I guess, you know, what those connections are going to bring to our lives, not out of some sort of um, self-serving way, but just an understanding of whether or not they are literally going to add or subtract. And that's important, isn't it, in life to actually recognize, is that person bringing something to my life that gives my heart peace? Absolutely. Joy. Yeah. And that's absolutely. a scary place to be sometimes, isn't it? It can be. Yeah, for sure. You know, I've had, I guess uh, I would say similar experiences with as other people in terms of having to let somebody go or, you know, just say goodbye too early or, um, you know, even the, the person that I initially started the studio with when our partnership didn't work out at the beginning, we were still best friends at the time and we had to navigate through that as well. Um, and that something like that is, is simply because uh, that connection was, you know, way, way too strong beyond business. You know, it wasn't something that any kind of project we would take on would ever um, damage you know it was if this didn't work out that's fine we're still friends because that connection is uh, it runs so much deeper than that. yeah it's sometimes you know as we spoke earlier people are not as we imagine them to be we have a whole story going on you know 
in our minds sometimes of how we think the situation is. But in reality, it can be something completely different and sometimes hard to actually um, live with, I, I think. It can be. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll give you one here, Mimi. Here's a story mm-hmm. for you. This is the... Uh, this is the story that ties right into that and just not knowing where you're going. Um, how do I start it? I guess the best way I could put it was the younger version of me, the video clerk guy. Oh. I used to have this crush on a customer that would come in all the time. And um, it, it was to the point where she would walk in the door and my whole face would go red. I mean, I was like 16 or 17, you know, it was one of those things. Everybody on staff would point and laugh at me when she was gone and be like, Oh, you like her, whatever. <laughs> anyway, she moves away or she's about to move away. And it was kind of one of those things. We both knew it, but we didn't really have the opportunity. I, I was with somebody at the time. She was with somebody at the time. But every time she was in the store alone, we both knew that that was there. We just didn't say anything about it. And then it got to the point where she tells me that she's about to move three provinces away. So I wasn't going to see her every Friday night like I used to. And I never got that opportunity to say the things that I should have said. So in the middle of a Friday night lineup, busy Friday night lineup, I just held my hand up to the next customer and said, you're going to have to wait. And I, and I walked over to her and I said, Hey, you know, I don't know what this was, <laughs> uh, but I know that we both felt whatever that was. And I'm really sorry that we didn't get that opportunity because it feels like we should have had it. And, um, you know, I hope, I don't know, you know, I just, I really wish you well and, and you know, best of luck to you kind of thing. There wasn't much else I could say at the time. And, you know, she thanked me. We had a hug and, and it was acknowledged kind of thing. And that was really all you kind of expected to happen, or at least I expected to happen. And as it turns out, three years down the road, I had, I had already been working at several different stores, this video chain that we were in. I was, you know, kind of one of those utility pieces that they could move all over the place. Mm. So I had been in different stores and I ended up back in my old store. Two days after she moved back three provinces, back to where she called home as well in BC. And on my first shift, she walked right through the door. Like no time had passed whatsoever. And there she was. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what are you even doing here? You don't live here. <clears throat> you know, I don't work here. These are, this is inexplainable. Uh-huh. So, so how does this, how does this make any sense? And how do we make sense of this? Because clearly we're being given another opportunity here to, to oh maybe correct. Oh my them, goodness. You know? Uh-huh. And so I, I said, I'm all in here. You know, I don't, I'm not passing this up again. Um, and I'm all in here. I don't know what it is that I'm, this to me is the stars lining up as much as they possibly could telling me that I am absolutely supposed to pursue you for some reason. 
So if this makes sense to you, I don't know, we should date or something. And uh, so that happened. And now the story gets extremely complicated in the sense that she was, um, she was like, I don't know if she was ever married, but she was separated at the time. She, she now had a kid. So she had, you know, that's a totally different circumstance. She wasn't pushing a stroller when I knew her before, but now she had a child. And I had to kind of think to my own childhood. I, I've had three stepdads, or sorry, three dads in total, four dads in total with a father-in-law. So there's, you know, I understand kind of what that role is like on a kid and it can be tough. And I had to consider whether or not that was something I was willing to do, but I was more, more determined, I think, than anything to follow this path wherever it was going to lead. And so her, her ex happened to be a really troubled dude. He was uh, unfortunately the kind of guy that would phone her from, from the driveway and be like, I'm going to kill myself with a combination of heroin and bleach right now. You should call oh. the ambulance. And he would do that. And he would do that right there in the driveway pump his veins full of chemicals of all kinds, whatever, it didn't matter. And the ambulance would come by, resuscitate him, and we would do the entire thing again the next week, the week after that. And it just seemed like this is the way things are going to go. I know it's a long story, but basically the, the gist of it is, is this girl that had once walked into a video store just like any other customer now i'm i'm really involved we're living together and we had just got this place in coquitlam about a town away from where i grew up and she said you know we got to pack up and we got to go where are we going uh well we're moving out east to winnipeg to where her mom and dad were so they could be oh. safe kind of thing right yeah do you want to go do you not want to go and I, you know, that was the biggest decision I ever had to make in my life because I had never stepped a foot out of BC. I'd never been to another continent. I hadn't traveled anywhere. Uh, even outside of my own province, it was like very minimal exposure. So the idea of me leaving everything behind and going to the other side of Canada was almost unfathomable to me. But the only thing that pushed me again Mimi, was this whole idea that how could all of this happened without there being some sort of a reason behind it there has to be something yeah so i stuck with it and i told my job i said i'm really sorry but this is this is what i'm doing now i'm gonna i'm just gonna go and i'm gonna help keep them safe and i'm gonna make sure they need to get to where they go and hopefully things work out and and hopefully things things go the way that you know, hopefully I can build a life out there and let's go see what the new frontier is like. Right. You know, it's a very exciting time. And I get there and, you know, I wouldn't say everything necessarily changed, but once we got her and her kid to a place where she was safe and she knew that she was going to be protected by mom and dad and she didn't have to worry about this guy, um, you know, kind of stalking her day after day from where he was in BC. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say that I became redundant kind of thing, but it was pretty apparent that, that I guess as a, as a function, I guess I, I had kind of ceased to have a use 
And I don't say that out of any kind of spite or, or any kind of regret. I, I am very happy about the role that I played there. Um, and what made it incredible was because everybody hears that story and they're like, wow, like what an incredible tale of love. And, and it seems like it doesn't have this, this great ending, but there's so much more to it. I get back home and there's no real place for me. I don't really have a ton of money because I've basically spent it traveling across Canada and moving my stuff around and getting new places and stuff. And all of the things that I owned never made it to Winnipeg. They got stopped by a court order in the middle of Canada uh, by the ex-husband who, I, it's a long story, but that's basically, I lost everything I owned right then. So I had a suitcase. Oh my goodness. I had a suitcase, not so much money. And thankfully, I had my dad, who was at least still willing to take me in. And uh, so, you know, I, I, and I used to live there. So, it was, you know, it's not, not a huge deal. Um, but the fact was, was the basement suite that I used to live in, well, they rented that out because uh, I was gone, right? They yeah. didn't think I was coming back. So when I got back, the only place that I could stay was actually in their garage on a broken lawn chair, nothing more than a suitcase of clothes, my music collection, which never left my side, and uh, probably a book full of poetry. And when I came back to BC, I would say, I would say I felt pretty broken at the time because I didn't understand at all what that whole journey meant I, I didn't I couldn't make sense of what I had just been through and how far I had moved my life to kind of make this happen and then there she was the real purpose it was my wife and uh, I didn't know that at the time but I found this fantastic lady who was willing to look past the fact that I didn't have a place I didn't have any money uh, I was living on a broken lawn chair in a garage with his parents. Uh, you know, not exactly your most attractive commodity uh, as far as a person can go in terms of what they can potentially offer a life or some kind of stability. Yeah. And she saw past through all of that somehow. And I don't know how still to this day, but when I got back, I got moved right to, like I, I was still fortunate enough to maintain my job with the, the video store at the time. Uh -huh. So they had transferred me back, but they couldn't transfer me back to the same store I used to be at because that ex-husband guy was causing problems there, even though I wasn't there. So they didn't want to take the chance of putting me back there. They moved me to a different store, and that store just so happened to have my wife there as well. Um, he was know, working there. Yeah, she was working there at the time, just part-time, and she actually just stepped down from the position as assistant manager to, to become a supervisor again, and I went in as, as her boss. Um, you know, so it's kind of, she. We, I wasn't really the boss, we were actually peers, right? But at the same time, it was just completely random circumstance, one after the other, all these things led to that moment of being into that store and finally getting to really meet this person and Whenever I needed a ride to, to go to like a store meeting or something like that, she was uh, always close by and the manager of the store would be like, hey, do you mind giving Jer a ride over to 
such and such store kind of thing. And she was always nice enough to help out. Um, whether or not that was because she was interested in me or not, I don't know. Uh, but it was those kind of, you know, dominoes that seemed to fall all in a row within about a, what felt like a whirlwind three month experience, probably at max. And then I knew right away, there was just no question that this was the person that I was meant to be with. And that that was somehow the bizarre and twisted path that led me to her. What a story. Yeah, I feel like I talked for a bit there. <laughs> what a story. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, she's, uh, you know, I, I always tell people when, when they hear that story. I mean, you know, there's certain people in life you know that you can trust. And when somebody has met you at your lowest of your low oh. and they're not even remotely scared of it, um, if anything, they want to help you grow out of it or whatever, that I think is one of the best moments you can ever experience in life. And it's something you never forget. You are blessed, really, Jer. Because people rarely, if ever, find somebody like that in their life. It's such a rare occurrence. And I have to ask, did you know that she was the one as soon as you laid eyes on her? Technically, no. Um, That was part of what kind of made it beautiful to me. Because really, she had been working at this store that wasn't too far away from me. And the store that I worked at while I was still there before I had moved to Winnipeg, right? Mm. So I did see her every once in a while. And my staff would kind of give me a little bit of a hard time about it. They would say, hey, you know, that that Becky lady, she, we think she likes you kind of thing. And I'd be like, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm so focused on this whole other scenario where this lady has come out of the complete blue after three years of being away at the same time that I did. And I have to follow this path. I was so set on that one person that it was almost like I had the blinders up completely. And mm. following that path kicked me all the way back to where I was to be like, no, you missed it. Go and take another look. You know, that's the way I looked at it. And, you know, to, to find a person that was willing to, I guess, just be that giving of herself at a time where I felt like, I was questioning everything, Um, you know, just what on earth did I just do in uprooting my entire childhood to go and move across Canada and lose everything I owned in the process? It was unfathomable. And and just to have this person never shy away from that, never back down, always be there. And, uh, you know, it, it, it did make me think, you know, back to the times where she would pop into the store. And it's a story that I still tease her about to this day because she would come in and she would be like, you know, I heard that new Pedro the Lion album. And she would chat me up. Pedro the Lion is the specific one that I use to bug her about all the time because she doesn't know a single song by Pedro the Lion. And I didn't know that for years. But that was just something that she, you know, she knew that I had an interest in music. So she kind of put that out there and kind of, just tried to lead me in a little bit through conversation. And I always fell for it. I would always be like, oh, right on. You like Pedro the Lion. Cool. Do you like this song, this song, and this song? Or whatever it was that we happened to be talking about. So she she baited me a little bit. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was one of those things that I didn't even realize until later on just how how the answer was right there in front of me. 
And, you know, I didn't get the, the exposure to it like I did when I got the chance to work with her every once in a while. That was when we really got to know each other. Um, oh. But really, the universe had already kind of tried to put that in front of me a couple of times and be like, hey, this is, this is something and you're supposed to be paying attention. And I had my blinders up and I kept, you know, I, I, I don't even know if that's fair to say, you know, I feel like I had my eyes open and I thought I was following the absolute path I was supposed to be on. I just didn't know where it was going to lead is all. And that's a great lesson though, as well, isn't it, Jer? Where we think someone is the destination, but in fact, yeah. they're in the bridge. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I thought that was the answer. Mm. And then mm. to find out that, not only was it not, but that there was something even better. I mean, how does yeah. that not teach you to hang on through no matter what it is that you're going through in life? Yes. You know, I yeah. think that's something, you know, I, I grew up as a, as a teenager with, you know, uh, my mom has got all kinds of experiences with depression. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of that translated over to me as I grew up as a kid and raging hormones and whatnot. But you get, you get that speech that, everything gets better. And at the time as a kid, I don't think there was anything I didn't want to hear like less, you know, like that was the worst thing you could say to me. I don't want to hear that right now, but it's so true. You know, that's the thing. And you don't know that until later on, until you're older, until you've had a chance to really take some setbacks and understand that on the other side of that setback is something so incredible that you have no concept of that. You just need to follow it out. That is beautiful advice because there's so many people out there now um, and every single one of us, I truly believe this, that has been through something so life-changing, if not once in a lifetime, many times in a lifetime. And what we think is, as you thought with the other lady, was your final destination. And, you know, as I said earlier, we build a story in our mind of how things are and how things are going to be. And pretty much a lot of the time, it's nowhere near that um, yeah. scenario in real life, is it? No, I mean, this one certainly wasn't. I, you know, I, I guess I, I saw things I, w I was capable of doing, but not necessarily things that I ever felt like I should be doing. You know, it was, I liked the idea of, of, you know, being there for this, this lady and, and her kid and, and helping in that process, keeping them safe. But that wasn't, you know, it wasn't much beyond that. You know, there wasn't uh, a feeling like I necessarily really belonged in that situation. So when it came time to, to cut ties and end it, it was sad because I, I had moved everything, but, you know, at the same time, it still made some sort of sense to me that that part was not the final spot, like the final destination, like you said. And what's interesting um, about the first lady is that you knew, I think we know this, I'm, I'm convinced of this actually, that I, that we meet people for an absolute reason. And sometimes we just really don't know what it is until maybe the event is over. But I do believe that she came into your life and you recognized each other from another level. I think on a soul level that you had to help each other. Quite possibly. 
Yeah. And, you know, in a way, you set her free and she set you free to find love. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. And I, you know, I, I like to, I probably haven't thought about it quite in such eloquent terms, but that's, uh, that is definitely how I kind of made peace with it myself, right? Because it was, it was a bit of a traumatic experience in the sense that there was just so much uh, activity and so much upheaval of a life going on. Mm. But at the same time, it was such a, a unique and significant connection um, and still one that's far beyond anything like I've ever experienced to this day in that sense that, you know, it, it is weird that I didn't see my wife at that first glance, like, like you were, like you had mentioned, it was this other girl that I felt that attraction to it at, at first, you know, that was what really kind of sparked that whole path. But like you said, it was just kind of some sort of ingrained something on the inside that, you know, it is impossible to put into words. It's just, I've known you before and how, you know, it wouldn't do it justice. Words wouldn't do it justice. But no. I totally understand what you're saying. And in a way, we go through relationships with people, whether that be partners or friends or family. And each one, I, I definitely believe this, that we have an appointed time. And sometimes you're thinking, what the hell am I doing in this you know, relationship or with these people? Um, I don't understand it, but I can't leave. And it's as if we know there's an appointed time, a set time that we're going to be with these people. Absolutely. I mean, it's there are far too many instances of that for it to just be some kind of happy accident, right? Like it's yeah. gotta be. Yeah, I hundred percent hear you on that one for sure. And in a way, you were rewarded, you know, with your wife, with the love of your wife and by helping this other lady. Um, so really love cast its sort of beauty upon all of you, but just yeah. in different ways. Uh, it's so many blessings out of that, Mimi. I can't even explain. Mm. Think of it this way. Not only did I get that fantastic ultimate prize. I mean, she is a absolutely amazing lady. I've, I've, you know, we've been together since 2004 now. So, I mean, that's, that's a healthy long time, but, uh, you know, it, there were things beyond that, that I didn't even understand as well. Like, you know, losing everything is something that quite a few people unfortunately do experience out yeah. there, but it's certainly something I hadn't experienced before. And that was unique to me. It, it really taught me about loss in an incredible way. Um, but also about what was really important. You know, I had lost a bed and a computer and I don't know, maybe a night table. So what? You know, I can buy that stuff again eventually. It doesn't have to be overnight. I'll get it, you know, but the things like my old storybooks or my poetry and stuff like that, that was heartbreaking, you know, to lose pictures and whatnot. Those kinds of things were so devastating to, you know, I still feel like I can... I still feel like one day I'm just going to, you know, stumble upon this truck out there and it's going to have all this treasure of my childhood and all my memories, my old stuffed bunnies and teddy bears, and it's all going to be there, but it's not, it's gone. And you know what? None of it really mattered because 
I kept all those memories, the important ones, they're all still with me, you know? So it's, it's one of those things we get attached so much to physical things. And, Mm. you know, do I love modern convenience? Do I love the things that I have now? Of course I do. I'm no different than anybody else when it comes to that. Mm. But do I, do I need them? No. And, you know, a lot of people don't really know that about themselves, whether or not they do or, or what it is that they really do need to kind of get by. And I think when you have that experience of you've just lost everything, you really realize what is important and what it is that's going to bring you back. And for me, that was a lot about love. Well, love rescues all of us in some way. Yeah. And I think that when things are going okay, as we would say, okay, I think there is no opportunity for growth. But I think when we're hit with a crisis in life, it's at that point, at that point of chaos, is that we suddenly can become free. Because at that point, we're free to change. Very true. I had a... I'd written a song not too long after that. Uh, mm. It was called Nothing Means Anything. And it was such a, an amazing three words to me, Mimi. I'm not even kidding. That, that to me represented so much. And I think what I loved about it was it was such an amb- uh, ambiguous statement that mm. for some reason, so many people kind of took in a negative comment or context, like, Nothing means anything. That's, that's one way to say it. But that wasn't how I heard it. I heard nothing means anything. As yeah. in like your back is against the wall when you've hit rock bottom, when you've hit your lowest of the low. Nothing mm. means anything is possible. Absolutely. You know that's I mean? how I understood it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that was just kind of one of my own little mini creative breakthroughs that really kind of helped me allow to kind of push forward, I guess, in life and just realizing that there, there is no ultimate setback that, that I can't find my way through. And that again, as cheesy as it sounds, things get better. They really do. And that's, what's important to hold on to, you know, uh, the line is fantastic. Actually, did you go and release the song or what did you do with it? Oh, it's in a catalog of about 600 other ones that just kind of sit oh. around on a hard drive somewhere. And you know how I am, Mimi. I'm not, uh, not always the self-promotional type as much as I should be. I'm out there promoting everybody else and what they do. But when it comes to my own stuff, it's always just kind of been a, a personal hobby or a diary of sorts that's uh, mm-hmm. you know, allowed me to kind of express myself. And, and um, you know, again, in terms of just finding that person that allows you to do that. That's always been the other half of my, my two person band, you know, that's that same guy I was telling you about, um, I think pre-show where, you know, he had met me through the walk on an alley and just simply said, Hey, you've got more inside your head and I want to know all about it. Well, that kind of person is the exact kind of person that, you know, you, you drop that, that veil of insecurity and you're just able to just be who you are. And, um, you know, uh, I've since, I think, you know, I have a few collaborations every once in a while that I take on just kind of as a hobby kind of thing. But in terms of making a song and, um, 
handing it to a set of ears that I always knew wasn't going to judge me, uh, that, that was my outlet. That was my creative outlet was always having that other half of my band, that guy that I knew I could count on to just listen, you know, and he wasn't, it, it could be about anything. I didn't have to worry about like, you know, do we want to be a political band or do we want to write romance songs or any, I just, whatever it was that came up, whatever the music inspired me to write about was what kind of came out onto our songs. And I think that's, um, you know, it's just one of the real gifts again, you know, art inspires art in so many ways. Oh yes, this is really true. And I'm going to ask you, and I've asked you this before, um, but I know you said I can ask whatever I like. Anything. Anything at all. <laughs> I'm going to ask you the secrets of the universe. We'll have to work that out on our own, each and every yeah. one of us. I think that's yeah. the point, isn't it? But in a way, you are hiding a little bit, aren't you, from this... I don't know. It's like you are only available to those that can really see who you are. I could not have put that better than you just put it right there. That is exactly the truth. Um, Yeah. Uh, As I told you before, yes, I am hiding a little bit for sure. Mm. Um, But at that same time, also, like you just pointed out, when somebody recognizes that or even gives me a little bit of an inch, a tiny little opportunity to get in there, mm. I use my skills to the absolute maximum of their potential. And I can promise you that. Um, you know, if I, if I have that ability to affect somebody in some way, shape, or form, and I, and I can see that avenue and that path to do it, and I think it's going to benefit them for sure. I'm absolutely there every time. Um, the last thing I'd want to ever do is kind of be some detriment to somebody's life or, you know, not, not be that thing that adds, but subtracts. Right. So I focus very hard on, you know, what is it that I can do to kind of help somebody evolve or help them get better. And then I get to this other weird place and even weirder place, Mimi, where I'm like, I have no right to feel like I should be doing that or affecting anybody's path because they're living their own lives. So it's kind of like this push pull balance between this is the person I think you can be. And this is the person I want you to be, but really I should be accepting you for the person that you are and just encouraging that nourishing that and accepting that and helping you grow to be that person but not because that's what I think, you know, just because of that, that should hopefully be the course and the path that you're on. But you know what, Jen, the thing is, I think there's a time and a place for everything. And I feel this, it's like, you know, when people have these highly spiritual Um, places that they go to and they need to be revived and they go there and I don't know if you've ever had this experience or it could be with a person and suddenly after talking to them or visiting a place you get a new zest for life 
I mean, like, kind of like similar to a relationship with a person. You mean like, uh, kind of like a relationship to a to a place itself, kind of thing. Is that yeah? Is that- like, for example, sometimes we don't even realize the impact of a meeting or the impact of where we're going to be or what's going to be given to us. Right. And I think people don't even realize what you actually give to them at That's, this time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're completely correct on that. I think a lot of the times that that uh, it's, it's an interesting push-pull because you're right. It's something that happens at the correct time, but that lesson itself might not be realized until way later on or the impact might not be... Um, you know, felt until later on kind of thing. And it's not until you look back and you go, okay, wait, if it wasn't for this, this, and this happening, then that never happens at all. You know, it's that, that kind of chain of events that continually proves that we are connected in all these kinds of ways that we can't see. And, you know, if, if there's something more beautiful in life than that, I don't know what it is. Cause to me, that's, it's one of the most extraordinary things that you can, can be a part of is to to feel that connection to places to to people to even things i suppose you know to to sum up the three main categories but you get the yeah. idea the, it is something that you know again it's caused me to kind of hide a little bit because um i i guess i guess you know for me it's probably a lot tied into um my my mom struggles to maintain her uh mental health you know so she's got a lot of the same things that i've got too but almost to the point where i would say that she she's been overloaded with it you know to the point where she can't process a lot of the things that i guess i'm able to and just in taking all that on over time i think has really kind of you know, broken her down in, in several significant ways in, in that respect. And, you know, so for me, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. I want to acknowledge it, but I'm also afraid of how much letting that in, you know, I guess could potentially do, because I certainly do feel a lot. I feel it through, you know, the emotions in music or through melody or the bending of a note sometimes can, you know, send me into tears on the right day kind of thing. Mm. Uh, you know, so it is all, there's definitely a connection to it all, as, as we've been saying. And when we grow up, I believe, you know, that our parents or our guardians, whoever it is that we grow up with, it, in a way, sets us for a lifetime of sometimes good, sometimes not so good. And sometimes it's difficult for us to disengage with that from what we see around us as children, because that's so important, especially I feel, you know, the first seven years of our life, because that's our view on the world, how we come into the world, how we're born into the world. But one important thing that I've learned in my life is that um, I am not my surroundings and I am not my parents and my family or my friends, I am me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to distinguish that. It takes a long time to learn that. Mm. 
and, and it's done. certainly for me. And I think, you know, there's so many, there are so many things about the way our society is set up in terms of how it perceives family and what it perceives family to be. Mm. And, you know, I think the pressure of course exists on all of us. You're born into a family. You're supposed to stay with that family. They're supposed to yeah. be a your life forever. That's not how it went for me. Um, you know, especially growing up and having such a different ro rotating cast of characters in terms of uh, step families and, and step brothers and stepsisters and extended family, this and extended family, that. Um, but, you know, you, some of those things that you, you're obviously thrown into and there, you know, you're at certain points in your life where you can't get past them because either circumstances or you're just too young of a kid and, and you're living through it, you know, and you don't have another option because that's where you live kind of thing. But as you yeah. get older, you have to make those choices in terms of your own mental health and what's important. And, 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 uh, some of them are extremely hard. You know, I had to, Oh, it was probably in 2012 or 13, I think, you know, that was probably one of the hardest years of my life. It was about maybe six months into Sleeping Bag Studios um, becoming a thing. And, you know, so I was trying to get all that off the ground. Um, and at the same time, my family was breaking down harder than it ever had. Uh, my relationship with my mom went so south that, unfortunately for me, the the only pathway forward that I could have was to finally separate ties for a while. And that's where it remains to this day. You know, it's not, um, it's not done out of malice. It's not done out of spite. It's done out of a complete hope that in doing this, something will maybe trigger in her that, you know, something needs to get better. Something needs to get repaired. Something, maybe that want for her to, um, to get better will occur. And, and I, you know, I don't know if it's wrong of me to assume that, that that's a possibility, but that's what I like to believe. I like to believe that we're all, you know, that change is possible for all of us or that evolution is possible for all of us in some way. Um, I don't know if it is, but, you know, honestly, that is my hope. We can become disappointed also sometimes. And I speak from experience where we sometimes hope that distance can resolve the situation, can yeah. change people. Sadly, I think that fundamentally we are who we are. Yeah, that's the thing, right? You you know what you know. And yeah. like there, there's not much that can change that. And you know, mm. I've I've had to examine that so many times over the past eight years of of not mm. talking to her and still carrying that feeling like, you know, hey, this is just the way things are. You know, there are other things that matter too, like my brother, you know, his health as a as a handicapped um, he, I mean, he's almost 40 now, but he still needs, uh, you know, he, he's still my younger brother and he still needs care. And at certain points of our lives, we have to intersect with these people, but, you know, or people that you have conflicts with at any time. Um, yeah. and, and I think, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to be tied to them for life. And, and it doesn't mean that they have to 
take away from you in some way. You can be stronger than that. You can not necessarily control the, the situation, but you can control how it affects you to a degree. Um, yeah. Absolutely, 100%. That is absolutely true. I totally, totally can sympathize with that because I had one of those, you know, one of those sort of epiphanies where you look at your family sometimes and you look at your parents or, you know, and you think, well, actually, they're not just playing the role of parents or aunts or uncles. These right. people are actually human beings yeah. that have wishes and desires and sadnesses and sorrows yeah. and hopes. And that totally puts everything on its head because you think, well, just because they're my parents or my aunt or my uncle or my brother or my sister, yeah. it doesn't actually mean it's, it's your thing, you know, about the nothingness because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're, a lot of people will disagree with me, but I don't think it matters whether you're connected by blood. No, I yeah. It, I think it's totally irrelevant. Yeah. Family has such a different definition for me. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with blood, to tell you the truth. Like it, mm. it it's, uh, you know, call it strength of character or, or conviction or, you know, uh, people you respect and admire. I mean, that's where my, um, yeah, and that's not to say there aren't those instances in my family too. There certainly are, but you know, like mm. there are people that you look up to and those are, I guess, extended family by some kind of weird stretch of the imagination. Mm. You know? mm. And you can feel, for example, connected to somebody that you've never met, you suddenly meet them and you actually feel like they are more family than in some instances, members of your family. Absolutely. I'm experiencing that right now, Mimi. That's the truth here. So yeah, yeah I 100% hear you on that one because it feels like I've known you for the last seven years and I'm pretty sure we still just met today. <laughs> <laughs> I think we met in another life. Yeah, we must have. Something. <laughs> Because, um, and when you feel it, you feel it because you know that person and they can be telling you whatever they want and it is actually, you're hearing what they're not saying. Yeah, it's like a concrete truth that you just know inside your core, 100%. Yeah, yeah. 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 I've always wanted a brother. <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> I won't give you my biological one, but I do have, what do I have? I've got a stepbrother and a brother-in-law that I can negotiate <laughs> for. <if> you want. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. I always thought, you know, um, Chris Rea, the yep. singer. Yep. So I always had this thing. I know it's mad. I always thought he was my brother. Totally really? crazy. Yeah. And um, I, there was something about him. But I thought, I think he's my brother. And it, it's totally not possible. I mean, everything's right. possible, but it's not possible um, in this sphere anyway. And I always had this thing. And my friends always say to me, there's your brother, Chris. And I actually felt like he was my brother. And, it, and it's these sort of mad moments in life, weird, mad, sad, you know, moments yep. where you think, I actually know that person. You know, it, you feel that you know them 
for sure. And then, you know, again, I think that like going back to that whole, you know, what's fictional and what's not, I think yeah. that that leads to part of that, you know, like that, that's part of what makes it so extraordinary and so confusing and so wonderful and so full of questions all the time is because when you feel it, you know it. And it's just whether or not you can somehow find a way to access what that feeling is really all about and what it represents. And it's, again, you kind of have to find two to tango in that situation. Either the person, you know, hopefully lets you in and, and you can have that discussion, you know, Um, or you, you reveal the magic in the place that you're in at the time and, and something is shown to you that, you know, you kicked a rock there was that word you needed to find or something weird who knows right it can be anything and that's the magic of life I mean for example with your mom or these people every single person including ourselves have agreed to take this role on I you know because there must be more to it as you say they've taken this role on and I've spoken about this before actually and you know, it's a lady called Betty J. Edie, I believe, and she wrote a book called Embraced by the Light. And she had a near-death experience. Right. And where she went was extraordinary because it was explained to her about people that we agree, actually. We agree before we come to this earth, who are going to be our parents, our siblings, our friends, and what role we're going to play. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I am convinced, Jer, of that. I am absolutely convinced of that because you know it, don't you? You think, why is this person acting in this way? What is it they're trying to teach me? Why Mm. have I met these people? You know, but at the end of it, what would we do without them? Because there's something so strong, for example, that your mom or people in my life are trying to teach me and they're going to get stronger. The messages, the vibration of them will become stronger until we learn what they're trying to teach us. That makes total sense. And, you know, it's, I mean, there's so much in that that I'm just trying to figure out right now. I'm sitting here thinking in real time as as to how that actually plays out and works, but you're absolutely right. And I guess what I'm wondering right now is like, if that's the case, and we can be placed around, um, you know, people that, that have, that I guess have intended to play a specific role, is it also theoretical that maybe we got placed with some people by random accident as well. Like, and I guess, I guess what I mean by that is when you have a situation like say my mom and myself, where we either couldn't agree or just constantly butted heads or whatever, you know, is it, is it that the lesson itself is taking longer to be revealed or are we just like continually, you know, two Rams button heads with each other, because we can't actually communicate on that level or time that we're, we're currently on, you know? Yeah. I don't don't know know what the answer to that is, but. Neither do I, but in all of that, I met a very, very wise 
person who was a spiritual master. And Mm. this was interesting. He always said that there is a reason for every single person that we meet in our life. And that that person that we meet is actually reflecting ourselves back to us. So whoever we meet, there's an aspect of what we don't like in somebody, that aspect actually is within us. That, again, makes, that, that's a wise person that told you that for sure, and that absolutely makes sense to me. You know, it's, it's, um, that's probably a tougher thing, I would think, for some people to acknowledge, but that's definitely something that I'd be willing to, to concede right away. You know, like there's yeah. so many times where I almost notice something similar to me in a person and that that it kind of provokes almost a negative reaction from me rather than an automatically positive one. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, I guess it can, you know, maybe I just don't notice the positive side of things as much in that regard because I don't really spend a lot of time you know, in, in a land of like self praise or anything, I'm kind of in that constant grind of pushing myself to do more and be better and all that kind of stuff. Even if I I'm willing to let it happen at a natural evolution, mm-hmm. I'm still kind of frustrated by the process. I want it to go and I want it to move faster. Um, but people play a huge role in that when it comes right down to it. And if yeah. you're, you know, if you're not running into the right you know, it's no different than you could think of it like vitamins or, or the right ingredients to a recipe. You need those things to be able to get to that full, you know, to that full picture or masterpiece that you're looking to create or that symphony inside. Hey, eh? we were talking about that. Yeah. That symphony. yeah. You need to be able to complete that symphony. And every one of those people is going to give you some sort of a piece that can, can play a, a huge role. And, and whether or not that comes through what you might perceive as negative interaction or positive interaction. Sometimes, like you said, it's just a matter of enough time and hindsight and looking back and reflecting on it to really appreciate just how much it's going to bring to your life in some way that you need it. Yeah, absolutely. And we shouldn't try. My grandfather always said to me, don't expect a scorpion to be a lamb or a fox to be a fish, or a wolf, you know, to be a pussycat, because every person has their own characteristics and their own nature. And we try to make people into something that they're not, and they can never be. And then we're totally disappointed. But we just have to, and I speak for myself as well, I've been thoroughly disappointed And it's awful because you think, well, how is it that they don't understand this? And why can't they just, you know, see something from my point of view or see what they've done? But the point is they can't because their nature doesn't allow it. That's exactly right. That's, uh, I mean, that's what we were talking about before in terms of just like, I want so many things for so many people. And I can see what I believe is absolutely the potential of where they can go. And I want to help them get there. And I want 
to do everything in my power to be the person that, that not necessarily the end all and be all person, but to just play my role and to help them to get to that place. And it's such a bizarre thing to, to be able to see something that quite often they can't see themselves. And again, you, you want this stuff for people. You want them to achieve that greatness of whatever our perception of that greatness might be. And that projection sometimes really seems to get me into trouble. That's, that's where I find the, the toughest part of doing what I do because I guess the best way I can put it is I, I carry such a pride in what I do and, and, and I want that for everybody that it's almost like when people get too close to me and they feel like they're not living up to that, that's when they start to disappear, you know? And it's, yeah. it's something that I don't know how to turn that off. You know, like I, I'm very honest. I'm very upfront. I'm very open. I'm not overly blunt. I understand what I think is when and where to say something to somebody and hopefully kind of be that person that plays that role and sending them into a new direction that might be more successful for them or more beneficial. But it's a very tough um, call to make and, and kind of, I guess, know with full confidence that you're ever doing the right thing or not interfering too much. You know, like I, I struggle with that all the time. If this stuff that I feel is real, how much of a right do I still have to use that if, if other people don't quite understand it or feel those things or see those connections? Is it right for me to, to steer them along? And I think, you know, Hopefully it is because that's the method that I've chosen to go with, but uh, I don't know, you know. Well, it is right. It is right. I I like to think so. I agree with you. Of (laughs) course. It is right because that is what you see. That is who your nature is. And for those that can't appreciate it or they're not ready to hear it, then that's absolutely fine. But what's important is that we are true to ourselves and to the job, in a way, in inverted commas, that we were put on this earth to do. Right. Yeah. Whether someone else doesn't really appreciate it or doesn't get it, it's not really our problem. The point is that, you know, the sun, what does the sun do? People can complain that it's too hot the sun still remains shining and being what it was created to be. That's a perfect metaphor. I love that. that I mean, and you're right. That's, or at least again, that's certainly the way I feel, you know, like I think it's just important that at the end of the day, you're able to rest your head knowing that you did what you feel is the best thing yeah. you can in all situations. And Especially when it comes to, to dealing with people, in my opinion. I, I don't know, maybe it's different for when we're by ourselves, but I don't think so. It's probably about the same, but I'm more conscious of it when I'm with you know, other people. It's, um, it's important, I guess, to me. And I think it would, it would be awesome if that was something that everybody shared, but I guess it is part of what makes certain interactions like this unique. and. Um, kind of helps you appreciate that 
there really are multiple levels of consciousness and awareness out there in the world that, um, you know, some of them might seem almost like computer simulations and, and, and redundant, but there are some that are so fantastically unique that you, you might still feel like you've known them for years, but at the same time you appreciate just how different that is from any other feeling that you can have out there. Mm-hmm. And it's a mystical and beautiful experience to be fully who you are. It is. It's, it's a skin that everybody should be able to wear. And it's one yeah. that is almost, um, you know, it's just, it really is so incredibly rare to find those people out there that have no problem at all. They're not affected by what somebody else would say ever. They're built of this, not necessarily steel, but confidence. And I think a lot of that, you know, I like to think I'm, I'm almost on my way there, you know, like I get to this point where, you know, it's not really so much that, um, things people would say wouldn't affect me at this point. It's just that they don't affect me in the same way they used to. Uh, not, not in the way that, or at least not the negative things. If there's any negative thing to be said, I don't honestly run into too much negativity out there these days. I I'm working in the music industry and that's a pretty positive place to be. But, uh, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff, I think it's really just, we all have to be mindful of, of that projection and, and our perception. And, you know, I always used to say you have to measure intentions, you know, because there are so many people out there that can't uh, express themselves the right way or don't have the same ability to express themselves to you in a way that you can understand it. And, you know, you have to really look at that person and go, okay, so fundamentally, you know, I might feel like this comment came out weird, but really considering the source, did they mean it weird or are they just (laughs) not saying things the right way? You know what I mean? And a lot of people don't have that, that gift of just being able to say what they mean, how they want to say it or, or as directly as we might like to hear it. But, you know, you have to kind of recognize that there's not a lot of people out there that are really trying to do you harm so it's almost weird that human nature kind of tends to jump to such negative conclusions quite often because really we all want good things you know i think and that's the the kind of core that we share between us and it's just a matter of you know finding a way that we can communicate with each other to get those things to um, the surface as best you can And, you know, there is always darkness and there is always light. And once we know our own darkness, I think then we can really begin to understand someone else's. For sure. You know, I I think that was, you know, it was a very important part for me to understand that, you know, over time, learning that that depressed teenager that I was, again, still had some hope of being something else, you know, but I didn't get to the point that I'm at now by 
um, discounting who that person used to be. It was more of an acceptance kind of thing and learning that, you know what, there's a lot of beauty in sadness. Um, there really is. You know, if you were to look at it, even on just kind of um, like an emotional level in terms of like if you were to stand all your emotions side by side, well, sadness still ranks just as high as any of them do. You know what I mean? They all have a maximum capacity and a minimum capacity. So theoretically, if that's a part of us, we have to learn to accept and love that too and appreciate it in some way. And it doesn't mean that we have to spend our, our lives feeling sad, but you know, there is a role that it plays and it. Certainly um, it can be a very enlightening one. You know, I think a lot of uh, certainly in music, I know specifically it's almost way harder to write uh, in a happy gear for quite a few musicians and bands out there than it is to write a sad song. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Yes. And we, yeah. again, we have to kind of ask ourselves, why is that? You know, what is it about, that side that that we tap into that sadness and you know if we're so willing to tap into it well then how bad really is it part of us we like it Mm. that's an interesting one when I was young and I used to um write I always write with music and I remember being at school and we were giving you know we had to write about a certain subject or a certain experience, I would actually always, Jer, listen to sad music. Right. And, um, and I would be sitting there thinking, what the hell are you doing? But right. yeah. that's when it felt real. Right, 100%. And, you know, one of the interesting things to me, especially about my brother because again, he's uh, what is he? He's thirty nine. He's thirty nine in days. Here. He's gonna be like thirty nine in two weeks. So happy early birthday to my brother! But happy birthday. Uh, in his mind, he's probably still about maybe about five or six, maybe maybe maximum eight. You know, and really, his motor skills and speaking skills really aren't aren't there. He's never really had that ability to communicate. But I've always certainly felt I understand exactly what he means because he's never needed those words to communicate with me. And one of the interesting things though, really is that I've been, I've been doing a lot of phone calls with him lately because uh, of being out here on the Eastern side of Canada, he's still out there in the West. Um, So now a lot of the times he'll just want to play music with me on the phone. He'll want to sing for me. And I absolutely love it. It's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, Half of it you can't understand and that's more than fine. I couldn't care less. I just love hearing the expression in his voice, the emotion in it. But what's really interesting, and I can't, I can't break this habit. And I don't, I don't know if, again, this is where I don't know if it's my right to do it or if I should even be trying. But it's sad songs that he really connects with as well. And I don't know if that's, um, you know, again, partly related to how we grew up as kids. It could very well be, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also part of that sincerity, that melody. Like I said, these are the endearing qualities of music that tend to resonate with us the strongest. And mm-hmm. it's just so interesting to me that, you know, to see this 39-year-old man that I will always know as my little brother, he's still so affected and so moved by 
these songs at what I know to be an age that's so much less than the years he's spent on earth. You know what I mean? He's Mm -hmm. with him being about five or six. It's, it's like you get almost an adult perspective into a child's mind in a way you get to see how these emotions of music and, and the things that they present to his own thought process affect him. And he can, he can, dive right into tears within like 30 seconds of being on the phone with me sometimes just because the first thing he'll do is hit play and start playing a song. But the opposite is equally true. He, you know, if he, if he is willing to play a happy song, he's more than happy to be singing at the top of his lungs. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, It's just interesting that he tends to gravitate towards the sad songs. I don't know why that is. I think all of us do. I tend to agree. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think so too. Those are the songs <laughs> that stuck with me. So, I, you know, I was, t- I was even talking to my wife the other day and saying, how can I blame him for these being the songs that he goes to um, when that's what I would show my friends? You know what I mean? Like yeah. if I show them a great song, it's probably not going to be the happiest song of the year. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm trying to get this hour long, phone call in with my brother who's across the country from me and I just want the guy to have a good time and so I have to kind of wrestle with this balance of you know I don't want him to obviously spend his time on the phone crying with me but at the same time he needs to be able to express his natural emotions as to whatever it is he's feeling and I have to be ready for that Um, so it's kind of a really unique relationship that it's grown into especially over these past five years, just kind of really understanding him on a different level and kind of just being present with him and understanding that, yeah, he's going to go through some crazy emotions that I can't even comprehend or process from his point of view. Um, But there are so many fundamental core similarities to why he's kind of in that mode or feeling the way he's feeling or what it is that music brings out of him in that respect. I kind of understand why he ends up, you know, in tears over singing like uh, mm. "What a Wonderful World" or you know, like that's one of his absolutely favorite songs. And it it's is a beautiful, beautiful song. Mm. Everybody loves it, right? Like it's a great song. Um, yeah. Or Bohemian Rhapsody was another great example. Well, that's that came a great song day. as well. Yeah. It is, but it's also got that point where all of a sudden Freddie Mercury's gone into the nothing really matters, and it's yeah. just you know all of a sudden it's devastatingly sad and it's like, you know, so I get to ride on these because he'll put that on in the background at full blast while I'm trying to talk to him. And, uh, you know, we get to ride through the emotions of the entire song together from a completely different perspective from his perspective and to hear him because he's got zero filter. He doesn't know any better. He doesn't have that pretense and guard that so many people have. He is free-flowing emotion out in the wide open all of the time, and it is gorgeous to see. And, uh, you know, just to be able to take that, to have that ability to to experience it with him at, at the same time has just been such an extraordinary gift. Uh, yeah. I'm on a tangent here, but I can't say enough about it. I beautiful, love that. Beautiful. Had you Wonderful. contemplated that maybe the songs that he chooses are things he wants to say to you? Yeah, absolutely. That's what mm-hmm. I mean, right? Like, I, as much as I want to discourage him from being sad, at the same time, I'm 
I have to acknowledge that he's trying to communicate with me in what ways he can. Right. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's totally different than, than anybody would communicate with anybody else. It's an unspoken thing that, you know, it takes a while to really kind of understand that, you know, like I really didn't get that at first that, that that's what it was. And I, you know, my automatic reaction would be the, to, you know, Hey man, come on. Like, why don't we put on a happy song? Let's do that instead. Um, because that's, you know, that's part of your natural instinct. You want to help and you want to heal. And, you know, if somebody's hurting or somebody's crying, that's your natural instinct. But at the same time, um, you know, somebody in his circumstance has such a different palette of how they express themselves that, It's just, uh, you know, it really is something, like you said, you have to acknowledge this is how he's communicating, um, almost because he, he's aware that he doesn't quite have the right words. So, hey, maybe this is what says it for him. Yeah, and maybe also, I mean, there's so many um, levels to this, but maybe also in that piece of music and that song, that's the message he wants to give to you about your life. Hey. That's, I, you know, again, I never would have even considered that. And that's a beautiful perspective to have on that as well. Like some sort of, maybe it's like, um, you know, it's knowledge to him that he's learned through music that is very important. And yeah. That knows that I know that too, you know, and that's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful thing to have said because there are so many things that, um, again, they're not redundant. They're, there's just similar experiences. Like he will play what a, what a wonderful world is almost a guarantee to come up in every phone call that we have. So that recurring desire, uh, not just because of familiarity or, or comfort or the fact that he's only got six songs, he's got tons. Mm. He specifically chooses to send that one my way all of the time. I wonder what he's trying to tell you with it. Absolutely. Right. I mean, there's, yeah, I could tell you all the times I felt like that about this kid throughout my lifetime. Believe me, it would, uh, it, it would add up pretty quickly and pretty significantly. I have often thought about what life is like through his perspective because it's been such a beautiful place. I, he has always found a way to occasionally be sad, but my brother's default gear is nothing but positive, happy, and just absolutely thrilled to be around. And that's just the way he has always been. It's the way he's wired. It's the way he's built. And it's almost like time itself doesn't exist. Um, If I saw him tomorrow, it would be like I saw him yesterday. And I can't even imagine what what a gorgeous thing that is too. You know, like it's, it's um, it becomes really on this side of the fence that it becomes extremely important to not take that for granted because to him, no time passes at all. And for, for me, obviously I know how I know that it was last Sunday that I talked to him last time and I'm counting down the days until the next Sunday or whenever it is, I pick up the phone to call him again. Um, you know, time is very important to most of us, or at least it's something that we acknowledge all of the time, uh, with him, it's not even a factor, not even something he's aware of. So it's always very much a a present and, and a be here now situation with my brother, Matt, he's a great kid. 
and in all in in all his sort of infinite beauty, somehow maybe he's even saying to you to go and explore the world a little bit. I think so. Yeah, that's a good uh, another good takeaway from that particular reference. You know, he's um, yeah, he's in a, a care facility right now on Vancouver uh-huh. Island, and he's uh, he's living a pretty good, secure life right now. He's always kind of been in a, a care facility at some point or of some type. I mean, and you know, some are better than others when it comes to social programs and and whatnot. And he's really in a place right now that is inspired and brought the best out of him in so many ways. He's talking better than he ever has. He's more communicative than he's ever been. Um, So to think that he would get to that point, that he would be able to communicate in that way is such a, an extraordinary thing to think about in itself. Because when when we were growing up, I mean, honestly, it, maybe it seemed like, you know, the the cap or the ceiling might be like getting to the point where he was about four or five and that might be it. And, and, you know, we'd never really maybe even know what it was that he thought. And, you know, maybe we still won't, you know, I don't know. I, I think those closest to him definitely get uh, a lot out of that relationship and really understand what it is that he's saying or what he's singing about or what kind of emotion he's feeling. Um, but it's another thing entirely to, to witness um, just how slow he's been moving. And I don't say that with any disrespect. It's just the facts of the matter. He's progressing yeah. at a very slow rate. And it's, it's just interesting to, to, to have that kind of hope and want. It's almost like, um, like how in the flight of the navigator, if you ever saw that movie as a kid, uh, how the younger brother ends up traveling through time. And, and when he arrives back at his home, he's the older brother, but his younger brother is now older than him kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of a, I I'm, I'm hopeful to the point where, you know, now I can see it and I, I can see it on the horizon and I'm like, you know, we will have that conversation one day. Just that 100% normal, free speaking, absolutely perfectly understood conversation. And I think that's just something I never considered when I was a kid. I didn't think it was a possibility, but because of how much progress he's made in this last little while, it's like I can see it on the horizon and it's all I want for him because I can see how much he tries. You know, he tries to communicate in so many different ways. And, you know, I think that's what he wants. I think he just yeah. wants to be able to, to simply say what it is that he wants to say and not see in our eyes that we're either trying to figure it out or, or we're trying to understand. You know, I think he's almost frustrated by that. I think he's at the point where he just wants to find those people that really get him. And do I understand that? A hundred percent. You know, I get that completely. Yeah. I think so many of us do. I think, again, it's just he's put it in a really, much more yeah. rudimentary level. But, yeah, that's what he's saying. My goodness. What an extraordinary life. Lots to unpack here, eh? <laughs> Like, I knew you would, anyway, have an extraordinary life. And I know that you have an 
extraordinary life. And this is what the beauty, isn't it, of everybody that we meet is that they have so many stories um, that are con a continuation. You know, it's not like they just have one story. We are all part of each other's story. And things that you've said to me tonight, I will think about, you know. Um, yeah. And I will contemplate these things. And I'm sure the listeners out there also, because we have so much to learn from each other. And I am so grateful, Jer, that you agreed and honoured me with your presence tonight. I have had an absolute riot, Mimi. Thank you so much for having me. It is To say it means a lot is just putting it mildly. I absolutely feel oh. like I stumbled upon a friendship that I, I, I've got to keep this going somehow. So yeah. I don't know how we're going to do that, but we're going to figure that out, right? That's going to happen <laughs> some way? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And All that's right. what the beauty of it is. And that is things like this show us that there's so much to be discovered about our life and you know don't give up but when we feel that you know the world is a dark place it in fact isn't because indeed we are the lights and we send us I think we send signals you know like fire signals or radio signals or something out there that attracts us to our tribe in a way. Absolutely. There's a, a beacon in the soul somewhere. In that, yeah. In that, you can see that light reflected right back to you. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm really, really grateful, um, Jeb, because it is proof again to me, not that I needed it, but I needed a re reminder, as we all do, that um, some really beautiful souls exist that um, we meet on some other level at some other time in our existence on this planet. Yeah, I agree. Like I said earlier with me feeling like so much of this is imagined or fictional or, or, or not real in my head sometimes when you run into somebody that's so entirely grounded like yourself that has such vivid perspective on how things do connect and and conviction belief understanding you hear these kinds of strengths in, in the way that you communicate and the things that you say and for me i can't even say thank you enough because it does help me feel like i'm not crazy to to put it in the, in the most basic way you know mm. i'm i'm not alone and you know I, that there are other people out there that you know they they just do they feel things differently and they understand and they see things differently and you know i it's not that we don't know there are more of us there's tons there's lots mm. um, yeah you know they are rare but there's there's more and i think the more that like you said the more we get brave about it the more we acknowledge it the more we put ourselves out there and people like me stop hiding yeah the more we have that ability to kind of maybe even move the needle in the whole 
the whole planet in a whole different direction, right? I don't think any of us really know what we're capable of um, because of that. You know, like who knows what would happen if we all got together? You know, that would be one thing. That would be something to see. (laughs) That would be truly remarkable. And I'm still hoping and praying that we are going to be doing that. And even conversations that we're having are the beginning of beautiful weaves and, you know, the tapestry that we are actually creating out there for all those souls that are meant to, in fact, change the world for a better place. That is what it's all about right there. To me, that's 100% the mission and the goal, you know, somehow to make this a better place. And I think we have, we have that ability. We all have that ability. And, you know, it doesn't have to be monumental. I would like it to be monumental. I'm sure you'd like it to be monumental too. Yeah. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be. Yeah, and it could, you know, there will definitely be. All I'm saying is that, you know, people need to to be mindful of the fact that every small part of that equation counts for a whole lot. You know what I mean? So whatever mm-hmm. contribution they can make into in defining that progression forward to finding that, that next level of whatever it is that we need to do, the the being conscious of that forward direction sometimes and just knowing that you're contributing however you can is so essential. And, uh, you know, I think, I think everybody's getting to a point, especially over this past year where that's becoming a lot more important to them. So I think, um, I think you're absolutely right. I think there are very good things on the horizon and hopefully some monumental shifts in, in terms of, uh, that awakening of humanity that you mentioned, because I think that is very much coming. I think we're in the process of it. And I think that if we, as people, as individuals, as souls, want to not just survive, it's not about surviving, it's about lifting our consciousness to a level. You know, we hear this consciousness everywhere. But in reality, it's true. If we can rise above all this that's going on to a place with like-minded beings and souls that share that symphony. We are the ones that can actually create that platform in a way, that pathway ready for other people that maybe are a little afraid to walk upon. The conductors of that symphony, right? Yes. Yes. That's where we get to. That's what we're looking to get to. We want to be the conductors. Yeah. You know, we know where those pieces fit. Yeah. And we just got to help them get there. Yeah. Absolutely. And we know that those people were born to play that instrument. And once we see them sit down in that chair, we know it's the right chair they were meant to sit in. Yes. And, you know, it's people like, uh, it's people, hopefully, hopefully people like yourself and I that, you know, we're, we play some sort of a leadership role in that respect where we're lucky enough to have that situation to somebody in some way, shape, or form, you know? 
And you know, when you said earlier about, um, I'm not sure whether words to this effect, um, I'm not sure if I should say this to people, um, you know, do I have a right to say it or don't I? Well, absolutely you do, because the conductor has to know the people in the orchestra. True. And they need to, you know, I don't want to say need to know their role. Like I'm coming well, they out do. Of them, you need to know kind of, why the hell are you on yeah, this planet? Yeah, they, you know, they will be more comforted in knowing where they sit. Yeah. 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 I think we all need to take our roles now to. Oh, sorry. I think my connection just drops oh. out for a second. Hello? Yeah. No, I'm still here. Are you still yeah. Yeah. Still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. I'm Hello? still here. Hello. Might be breaking up here. I'm not. Hello. Yeah, no, I absolutely know what you mean. Are you you're still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I think um okay, yeah. So I mean, I think what you're talking about in terms of of a role and just having that that defined place that we fit in. There's such a comfort in that, you know, there's, mm. there's a comfort from both sides. There's a comfort in, in knowing where that place is that you fit. And there's a comfort in, in being that conductor and knowing that you helped do what you can to guide a person to their full potential or where they belong. And I think, you know, yeah. if anything, that's the true beauty of leadership is the people that really get that don't exploit that. They, they celebrate it. You know, they, that's a, a badge of honor. You know, it's it's something that we're able to to look at and and know that that's an achievement beyond any kind of personal achievement we might be able to experience because it branches off into so many other good things. That that person that you affect in a positive way will be able to go and spread that positivity in their own way countless times throughout that whole existence of the timeline or whatever it is that yeah that we're doing here, you know? And I think, um, it's just one of those, uh, it's like one of those parts of leadership that I think it, it would just be great if it was always something that we could acknowledge in, in other people and, and encourage. And I think that, um, it's not necessarily that we don't. I think it's just one of those kind of quiet nods of respect. I think sometimes you see those people out there doing the the thing that they were born to do. And you just, you can't help but watch it and just marvel sometimes or listen if it's a music thing like like is often in my world. Mm. Um, and just really appreciate it for for what it actually is and and just how next level it is for a person when they found that place where they truly fit. There's a line in a, in a song by a Canadian band called the tragically hip. You ever heard of them? No, I haven't. No. Okay. Huge Canadian band. Basically they're, they're, they're uh, they would replace the Canadian anthem in a heartbeat. If you took a poll throughout this, Right now, right now, they would tell you oh, any day of the week. Um, but he, this guy, Gord Downey, the lead singer, he wrote a a, song, a line in a song once uh -huh. that I thought 
was the most brilliant thing I had ever heard. It was um, <clears throat> a line that says, there's nothing uglier than a man hitting his stride. And I thought about that line for what felt like a decade. And I came to the conclusion that he was actually saying the opposite of what he was saying. It was like almost saying like, I'm so good at this that it's ugly. Um, almost like it's, it's so perfected that I can twist it like this. You know what I mean? I'm so good with my words that watch this happen. I'm going to make you think I'm saying the opposite thing. But really what I mean to say is when somebody's found their place and, and found that spot where they belong, there's nothing more beautiful than that. Yeah. And yeah. The way that he was able to do that was by saying the complete opposite. And this could just totally be my theory. I don't have this confirmed by anything. And unfortunately he's passed away now, but that was the, uh, the way that that line particularly hit me. I, I went from thinking there's nothing uglier than a man hitting his stride than thinking there's nothing more beautiful than seeing somebody that is meant to be doing what they do and doing it so well, you know? That actually, in a way, is a masterpiece. Yeah. It was, uh -huh. and I guarantee you there's probably... Not many people that, met, that, that have been out there and, and probably spent that much time thinking about that one line from that song. But yeah. to, to me, it just went straight to the heart. And I went, why would that, why would that be an ugly thing? Why, why would that be a horrible thing to see somebody at the top of their game? That's got to be a great thing, isn't it? And then it was just like the light went on. And I, and I went, oh, man, this wordsmith just got me. Yeah, absolutely. That's what he means. You know, it was kind of this whole epiphany. And ever since then, I've just kind of really used that as a metaphor for, for seeing people, whether they're an athlete at the top of their game or, you know, a really well-written article or a fantastic new spoken word album like Beyond the Horizons or mm -hmm. something that shows an artist out there or a person that's dedicated to their craft or, or whatever it is they're committed to, but really hit that peak performance of just not necessarily the best showing, but that comfortability, that being in the skin they were born to be in right there in that moment uh, is such a beautiful thing to witness. It is actually, you know, when you see the beauty of somebody actually being all that they are meant to be, Yeah, it is, um, it is heavenly. Yeah. Really? And I, it, you know, I don't know yeah. how we couldn't want that for every single person yeah. that, that's out there. Right. And I think that that's part of what, what, you know, tends to get us to that point where we look at somebody and we, we go, we want you to get to this point here, whether or not that's right for them or not. We just, we just want it because it's a beautiful thing to see. And it's certainly addictive to witness when you find it, yeah. you know, you just want to, you want to spread that feeling of, of, hey, go out and reach your max potential. Go out and do everything it is that you think will get you the most out of life. Because like we said from the very get-go here, it is absolutely too short. And yeah. don't hold back on what you want to say. Don't hold back on what you want to do. Go out there and do the things that you, you can while you can. That's what this whole place is about. It's true. It's true. Yeah. It, it's, you know, life is less than the blink of an eye. And it is. We we have to realize that, and I think we have been given a 
huge opportunity now to realize that and to do what we need to do really to leave our mark here on earth, but also to, you know, as we spoke about, to bring about this, you know, huge awakening that is happening at the moment. Uh, Amazing, amazing. And I think that um, you go a long way in doing that in what you do, Chair. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful, you know, for your presence here tonight. And I feel that maybe, who knows, after tonight, what changes you have brought to the listeners out there, to my life, to their life, to your own life. And I think it would be interesting, you know, as they say, watch this space. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Mimi. I can't say thank you enough. I truly appreciate the opportunity to talk all this kind of stuff out with you. I'm hoping this is uh, just one of a part of a mega series that we'll create for who knows how long of a friendship we get here. Maybe we yeah. just keep for beautiful. who knows. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And I really sincerely mean that, Jer. It is really been a pleasure and it's a rare thing. And when you have these rare moments, it really profoundly affects you in ways that we can never know. Absolutely. I'm like, I don't know if vibrating is the right word, but I'm energized right now. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> yeah, kinda, yeah. you get that, you yeah. pick that aura up from, from people that, uh, that fully get it. And it's just, it's such a pleasure and a privilege to have been able to talk to you, Mimi. I've got such a respect for your writing and the way that you communicate that it's just, it's meant so much to me. And it's such a, it's one of those things, right? I, I struggle with this industry so much because of the insincerity that I tend to find in it. And, mm. and that it's kind of justified. Like I get it. It's a promotions thing that usually people, people meet me through. Mm. Um, and promotions has got such an insincere kind of connotation to it, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, a lot of just my is, is, Maybe I'm writing a press release for biography for somebody. But at the end of the day, what those things are and find out what we've got in common. And when we can do that, we open the doors to such fantastic opportunities and new relationships. And I don't know, it's just a whole beautiful world of expression out there that I think is still largely untapped. And, and, and it's so close to us all, you know, yeah. we're all able to, to put our hands in that same, the same pool, you know, we're all able to feel more, um, but everybody still kind of has a, a, a part in there. Yeah. And yeah. I think the more that we can kind of embrace and bring them to the fold and lead the way, the more everybody else finds their courage to do it too. Right. Yeah. All things, everything gets better. Mm-hmm. Very true, very true. Now, it's been amazing. I feel like I've been on a journey now for about 3,000 years. Um, <laughs> it, it really, you know, like, we, yeah, no, no, no. This is the whole point. It's been an adventure. Yeah. It's been like the thousand and one Arabian nights, you know, 
because every part of the story has something to teach. And that's what's so wonderful about mm-hmm. it. Um, amazing, absolutely amazing, I have to say. Now, as we come to the end of the show, I want to ask you, where can people get in contact with you? Ah, um, mm. people can reach me through uh, sleepingbagstudios.ca. That's our main website. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty much where I'm hanging out all the time. Uh-huh. And and where can they reach me? They can. That that's exactly it. I mean, there's contact information there, and okay. believe me, you're the kind of person that's willing to reach out. You will find that I am the kind of person that will respond. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And I always ask my guests this at the end. Yep. In a couple of lines, Jer, what would you say to the listeners out there? that something to keep them hopeful, to give them that resonance of light to keep going? I would say fall in love with purpose. Um, Purpose as to what it might mean to somebody other than me or one person to the next is always going to be different. And that's fine. but. Fall in love with purpose, whatever that purpose is to you, and let that be your inspiration and your guide. Find meaning in something. Find meaning in anything. Um, and, and let that be your guide. Just those are the things that, that matter. You know, those are the things that are resonating inside you. If you can fall in love with purpose, wherever you may find it, it will motivate you to keep going forward and you will find strengths you did not even know you had. Wow. That's something to etch on your heart. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much. And I'm still in awe at the sort of things that you have said and also the things that you write. So I would definitely say to the listeners to check out Jair because there's so much more. There's so much more. And once again, thank you really sincerely for coming and sharing part of your story. You are far too kind and such a sweet individual and and just by far just such a giving personality and just a wonderful human being, Mimi. I can't, I, I just can't, you know, you're just, you're just fantastic. I am absolutely honored to have been here with you. And I certainly look forward to uh, keeping in touch with you in the future. So if there's anything that I can do for you in whatever ways our worlds cross paths, please don't hesitate to reach out. Oh, thank you uh, very much. And likewise, likewise. Oh. Oh, we'll have a beautiful <laughs> rest of the day, or is it evening there now? We're getting close now, Mimi. We did pretty good here. <laughs> so over here on our side now, so I'm pretty proud of us. I am, oh. <laughs> I am looking forward to next time. So yeah, absolutely. You be well, absolutely. my friend. And if there's, uh, yeah, if there's anything else at all that you ever need, you just send it my way. I'll do what oh. I can to. Help. 
Ditto, ditto, ditto. All right. Well, take care. All right. We'll talk yeah. to you soon. All bye. right, then. Bye, bye, bye. Chair Gladstone, what an absolute delight to have him here on the show. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, look after yourselves and lots of love. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website, www.mimi.co.uk.